Let's Talk HR is a place for HR professionals, business owners, and employees to come together and share experiences, talk about what's working and what's not, how we can improve best practices so that companies can better attract, train, and retain all generations of workers. We all know that there has been a huge shift in what people want. Generations are coming together more than ever on what's important. Mental health has been brought to the forefront of everyone's mind. Let's humanize these conversations. Let's talk about how the economy has been impacted and what needs to happen to find a balance. I'm your host, Leanne Lovely. So let's get this conversation started. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, follow us, like us, and share us. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Um, it's just it's it's exciting to you know talk with you today because we've met through you know somebody else that um, you know we both know. So um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this, and I love what you have to offer. And I'm so excited to be on board. So why don't you start off by telling um, telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Jamie White, and commonly in work, I go by my middle name, which is actually Cinderella. And so anybody that I work with um, currently has known me as Cinderella, so if you hear me refer to myself that way, that's why. Currently, I am the general manager for Antique Up, which is um, a brand that has storage as well as antique stores throughout Wisconsin. But I actually got that set up through meeting Jamie and Kevin, and that is also Jamie White. So we differentiate with my middle name being Cinderella and her being Jamie. They really kind of set me on this amazing career path between coaching and management. Kevin has actually come on my podcast and he made an introduction um, you know, for you and I, and it was really funny when he made that introduction. Cause he said, I would like you to introduce you to Jamie white, not, not that Jamie. Um, and, yep. I, and I was like, wait, what, what do you mean? Not that? And, and he introduced the two of us. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you met, um, Jamie and Kevin white of, of the white group and, and Kevin now of, you know, he has a, a podcast, um, business addicts. Um, but how, how did you meet them and how did that relationship evolve? Yeah, so it was during 2020, I had kind of left my somewhat career at the time. And I got this email um, asking for a nanny, I used to nanny all the time. And I had left that career path a long time prior. Um, I got to speaking with Jamie and originally wasn't anticipating leading into that realm at all. But we found that we had so much in common that it just felt like a complete perfect fit. So I ended up nannying for them for a little bit. In the process, I, I found coaching. So they are actual coaches, um, life coaches. And at the time, I didn't realize what I was getting into. I didn't know anything about coaching. I'd never heard about it before. And I hadn't yet worked through quite a bit of my traumatic background. And so in the process of being the nanny, Jamie was coaching me and I didn't know it was coaching at the time. And all I knew was we were working, like I was working through things and she was asking me all these great questions that led me to think in a deeper way. And, um, and Kevin, 
I got to know him a couple months down the line because he wasn't um, as home as often as she was and ended up just really having so much respect for the both of them and the differences that they bring to coaching and leadership and, and teaching others how to grow in themselves and to develop who that it is that they've been made into being um, rather than trying to for force you into a mold or a box. It's very, very much who are you and what are your skills and what do you bring to the table and let's develop you and what you're interested in. And so that was game changing and life changing. And now I've been blessed to um, kind of partner with them with their coaching crew, which is Believe Crew, um, as well as Jamie kind of giving me my start in management and HR. It's completely amazing. And to start out as a, a nanny and for her to take an interest in you um, and, mm -hmm. and not just take an interest in you, but to see that there was something so much deeper happening within you that she was able to start pulling that out of you and be able to help you level up. Yeah, absolutely. She actually fired me uh, from being the nanny. Um, <laughs> she told me after a while she like, she could sense that I was getting antsy or he had taken like a side job for um h&r block and i was work working as a receptionist in the evenings and they quickly offered me management as i was just the part-time receptionist and i realized like i wanted that but i wasn't sure that i wanted it there per se but i had this yearning for something more and so she ended up firing me when they offered me management she said that's what you're you're meant for more than this this isn't your role um so you have a choice you can either be my housekeeper and she knows that I absolutely hate cleaning uh you could manage for me at antique up because at the time she was running these companies um or you could find a position elsewhere but you cannot be my nanny anymore <laughs> that and that was great right so through now you had mentioned um you would gone through some trauma and she yeah. helped you 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 work through that so yeah she absolutely did are you open to talking about about that yeah and absolutely so tell me a little bit about about that and and how that has helped you know what that looked like and how that has helped shape who you are yeah absolutely I it's a long story so I'll try to condense it rather than it being being the whole thing if you want to check out more of the details Kevin's podcast actually has like the full testimony but mm -hmm. uh, basically I was born into um, severe abuse uh, my biological father was a diagnosed sociopath and um, he was extremely abusive to my mother um, and manipulative and gaslighting and um trying to kill her and kill us. And so we ended up going to hiding and changing our names, changing all of our identities. When I was about 11, we went into hiding and that it was like two completely separate lives happened. So we had the before and we didn't access those memories. Those were done. And then we had the current, which was just survival. And we didn't talk about the past. We didn't talk about, um, 
kind of what we were feeling. There wasn't therapy. It wasn't safe to talk to anybody. So it was all of this bottling up. And so it wasn't even safe to, you know, tell people we were domestic violence victims because then that could create a link to being found. So as a teenager, as I'm going through all these things, I repressed so many things that I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to have hope or have a future. The only thing I could think of was the day-to-day, just get through today. There was no there was no career that I could have. There was no thought process because it was survival-based. Um, and that began to change. After I had my daughter, I knew that I didn't want to be in that path anymore. Um, but I didn't know how to get out either. When you've had your whole family is wrapped up in this, and it's a very real threat, but it's also, um, it also can keep you stuck. It depends on having wisdom in that situation and when, when is it the right time to move on and when is it safer to stay? And so that was an interesting transition period because I was 19 when I had her and had moved away completely from everyone that I ever knew to start over, have a kind of get a new identity, change everything learn who I was as an adult, um, who I was as a person, who I was as a mom, all of those things kind of came into play. My self-esteem was so low and I felt like I had nothing to offer that the only thing I could ever imagine being good enough to do was to work at Quick Trip. That was my dream job at the time was to be a cashier at Quick Trip. It's very interesting because I ended up becoming a cashier at Quick Trip and I really enjoyed the culture and the atmosphere and and some of the things that they provided, but they ended up kind of catapulting me into wanting more, which was very nice. After all the trauma, after the repression, the, the lies, the not being able to figure out who I was, it left a lot of identity issues. Mm -hmm. It left a lot of esteem issues. It left issues in relationships. It left issues in careers. Um, I couldn't have friends because people weren't safe. I couldn't be honest. And if you can't be honest and vulnerable, you can't trust anybody. You can't have anybody in your life. And so that was, that was probably the hardest thing to unlearn when you've had your entire life be one way to unlearn that is actually quite painful because you feel this fear on letting go because it's not safe to do otherwise. So it's a lot of mental shifting there. Right. Well, and something you just said is unlearn. Wow. That's such a, um, such a huge statement right now. Isn't the entire world, all of management trying to unlearn the bad habits that we have. Absolutely. Management has been, driven by this abusive culture, this fear-based culture. Um, You know, management has been taught that if they don't get their employees in line, then they have to worry about their job. And so they rule by fear because their, their whole position is based in fear and control. Mm -hmm. And it's not supposed to be, I don't think that's how in, in, in any way it's not good. But if you look at, you know, statistically or psychologically, what that actually does is it, ends up creating a toxic culture that people want to leave versus if you have a loving culture where you trust that your employees are going to do well, 
you trust people, you trust your customers. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? You have to actually learn to like the people that you work with and develop them. And that's a different challenge than fear. Wow. So, and I didn't mean to diminish what you, the story that you just told, but what you just said was that that was very profound to have to unlearn. And I don't know that there are words to say, I mean, the story that you just told is, is unbelievable to grow up in that environment, to be one, the age that you were and fully aware of what was happening to have had 11 years in an environment that was obviously very horrific. Um, and now to be a woman who has clearly come out the other side and um, very healthy and happy and doing well is it's it's amazing it's it should show so many people out there that you and others are very capable of moving past the the traumas yeah. that we that we all not that we all have experienced but um that we that we experience in life that some of us have had to endure in in life so your dream job you mentioned was quick trip <laughs> So, yeah, and you did, you went and worked at Quick Trip and you then said you realized that you wanted more because of, of that. What was the trigger of, wow, I can do this. I want more. And where did you go from there? Yeah. So I ended up transferring stores. So I was originally in Stevens Point at a Quick Trip there. And then I moved to Rapids and I got a new store and I wasn't sure how to handle that environment. It was a very different atmosphere culturally, work-wise, and was really challenging. It didn't feel healthy. And even the the way that Quick Trip works is um, the amount of labor hours that you are allotted is by how much fast or like hot food you sell. Hmm. So you could have tons of customers every day, but it's determined by how much fast food you sell through Quick Trip. Interesting. And if you have a community that's more health conscious or maybe older, you don't sell as much hot food. So then you don't have as much labor. We had a really bad shortage um, because that was, that was just the criteria that they looked at staffing. And we, and I knew that we needed to up our hot food sales basically. We were also having a lot of issues with drive-offs. We have a, a culture here that is, there's a lot of crime, unfortunately, in this small town. So, you know, there's a lot of drive-offs. There's a lot of people who were um, kind of cheating the system, I guess. And so marketing-wise, some things have just come naturally to me, which is you make someone feel seen, you make them feel wanted and welcome. A, they're more likely to buy from you, but if there is theft, they're more likely, it's more likely to deter them. Mm-hmm. and create that connection of they've seen me, they've seen me as a person. So it was during, there was a huge lottery surge. Um, and I think it was like over a billion dollars or something like that, where we just had lines all day long, or maybe it was Powerball. And we didn't really have enough staff for it. We weren't prepared for this nonsense and lines all around, wrapped around the store. And I just needed something some positivity to infuse the day because all of my coworkers were kind of done. The customers were done. So we have to announce when they're, you know, when someone comes to the pump, you have to say, we see you come inside. And normally it's a quick, you know, high pump five, we'll see you inside. And I was, 
I just came up with this idea of almost it being like a showmanship or like over the top ridiculous. So I was like, welcome pump five. We are so happy to see you today. Come on inside. We've got our pizza on sale for only $4.99. And it was over the top. It was ridiculous. And it made everybody happy. And we sold more pizzas or whatever it was that was on sale that day than we had on other, you know, sale days. And I loved it. I loved getting to see the people over in the pumps, just laughing and smiling. Like it was the greatest thing ever. And just that extra oomph of customer service really drove me. We ended up getting a new store leader after that, who she was more by the book. And she decided that she didn't like that turn of events and she wanted it to go back to how it was and for the kind of the direction to be somewhere else and we just didn't see eye to eye on it and I realized that for me customer service and marketing and management all went totally together when you make your customers feel loved you give your employees opportunities to take on a project that they're passionate about and it grows the company that's what you should be encouraging. Um, mm-hmm. If it's growing the employees, if it's growing the customers, if they're developing themselves and developing the company, it, it should be encouraged. And it gives the employees ownership of something and makes them feel valued. And like they bring something to this company. I realized that that is the culture that I wanted to be a part of. And that's what I wanted to create. And I couldn't do it from a place of being a cashier. Somebody would always be making the rules above me. The path to management in Quick Trip, you can do it, but it takes time. They want to see you do the cashier and then move your way up. And I'm not, I wasn't interested in waiting that long. So right. I decided to start my own company after that point. I started that for a little while. And then I realized that, you know, while that direction that I was in wasn't the direction I wanted to be in long term. I was designed for management to lead others, to develop a business and a company by developing the people. And there's, you know, the quote that I love is that employees should be the company's biggest fans. And if they're not, you're doing something wrong. And you really need to take a hard look at management and at your company. Are you acting with integrity? If you have a company that A, brings value to something, you're fulfilling a need, you're making something better, you're improving it. Cause that's why we're in business, right? We're, we, nobody gets into business to do something mediocre. You're supposed to be passionate about it. It's something that you, you want to do. And so that's the first tool is having a company that, you know, is worth value to people. And then having, if your employees don't love your company, it's a sure sign that you've got something going on in management because you're not valuing them as people. If you value them as people and they believe in the philosophy of the company, they'll go forever with you. They will love their experience. If you leave them with, you're just a body, you're just here to be a robot and do what I want. Your company may grow to a degree, but it will never flourish because the culture is toxic. You're going to have turnover. You're going to have employees who don't speak highly of you. Your, your employees, if treated well, 
are your best marketing asset. You shouldn't treat them well just because of that, but you should also look at it logically. If you treat them well, if you honor them, they're going to care about you and want to create this amazing company that flourishes because then they also flourish. Mm-hmm. And Quick Trip is is known for creating yes. amazing environments. So you you had a, a peek under the curtain. Um, unfortunately, not every single location runs the same. And yeah, there's always going to be change and conflict, you know, at, at different locations here and there. But you had you had a true, you know, and, and I say this because I, I also have a mother who is in management at Quick Trip. So you had a peek under the curtain at a very young age of what awesome culture looks like. Oh, many, absolutely. Many of us, especially those of us who are on the older scale, we went to work and it was your, you know, come do your job, go home. And it wasn't so much designed around making your employees happy so much as, I mean, it wasn't make your employees unhappy. It was more, you're here to do a job, do the job, go home. Yep. It was very one-sided. Correct. And nowadays people are demanding more. And and I say Mm -hmm. demanding on purpose. People finally are saying, I'm not my grandfather. Mm -hmm. I'm not the person who's going to be a number, show up, do my job, go home. I want to enjoy what I do. I want to have a purpose. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, there really isn't. In fact, I think that every single person should always view it that way. They should say, what do I want? What am I passionate about? Where do I put value in? Find out what their career is. You shouldn't have to go to work and just think I'm doing this just for a paycheck. Right. You should have passion about it. Right. And, and, and I love the fact that you said my goal, you know, at a younger age, my goal was just to be a cashier at Quick Trip because that's, there is somebody out there to do every job because people say, well, if everybody's purpose is to be this or that, and I say, but not everybody's purpose is to be the owner of a company. Some people's purpose is to go in, run a machine and do the best they can possibly do and go home. And then, and that's it. And they love it. And And I, I love how different people are. We have You know, on each of my stores, we have five to 10 workers and it depends on what role you are in, what you end up doing. And I have some, I have this one young lady who's worked for me for um, almost a year. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. She does her job well. She enjoys her job. She enjoys the culture. She's very personable and she's, you know, one of our customer service people at the front desk. So Mm -hmm. she's a cashier. She does all that. And she's taken it and she's owned it because I love management and leadership. I, of course, was like, oh, you must want this. And she was like, no, I don't at all. I love what I'm doing right here. It, it made me pause. And I'm like, oh, wow, like this is not for everybody. And each person has their own things that they're like, I love this. We have like our cleaning lady is so excited to come and clean. Mm-hmm. She feels that she's got ownership. She takes her job. She does it amazingly. She's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. I could not do that job. Mm-mm. I am not geared for it. I would go crazy. I would 
when Jamie offered the cleaning position for her, I said, <laughs> absolutely not. You couldn't pay me enough to do it. Right. But then you have someone else who it doesn't matter that, right. You know, it's, it's cleaning. She loves it. She's good at it. She's passionate about it. So I, that's what you need. Right. I, I have a friend who I remember we were talking and, and I said, well, you know, and this was early on in our friendship. She, I didn't know what she did for a living. And she says, well, you know, I, I clean houses. And I'm like, oh, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. She goes, I love it. She goes, I wouldn't do anything else. I love yep. going into other people's homes and making it look beautiful and making it look yep. perfect. Now, here's the thing about me. I have an issue with hair. Um, <laughs> if I have to clean out, like, the drain in somebody else's bathtub, I, I'm sorry. Right, exactly. Look. Oh God, like run away. I, I can't do it. Yeah. I can't touch it. I can't look at it. I can't, that would, that right, right there. Okay. If I yep, had to empty done. the, the bag of some, you know, of somebody's vacuum cleaner, I'm sorry. Like I, I have really bad gag reflex. And I just, I remember when I was, when I was working at a small staffing company and they're like, yep, everybody, you know, rotates on, on helping out cleaning. Again, they didn't have a cleaning lady. Everybody pitched in. Fine. Mm -hmm. But when I had to clean out the vacuum cleaner, I was like, oh, God, I have to close my eyes. I can't even I can't even look at this. I even it yeah. even bothers me with my own home. OK, like <laughs> there's there's just certain I can clean a toilet all day. Fine. Put my gloves on. I'll clean it. I just can't. But there are people out there who are like, I love going into somebody's home, making it look perfect. They come home and they're like, wow, it looks beautiful in here. They call me and they're like, hey, yep. you did such a great job today. That's their passion. They love it. And so my friend's like, yeah, I run, I have my own business. I have, I have the same clients, you know, that call me and I go it every two weeks or I go every week and I, you know, yep. it's great. And I'm like, awesome. That's, that's amazing. Like, why would I think any less of you because you clean homes? Like, I, right, she's doing what she loves. Right, I would love to hire somebody to come and clean my home. Right now, I can't fit it in my budget. <laughs> I, feel, I feel that I actually, so I don't have much for hobbies. I love work, and that's about it. Like that's what I just enjoy doing. And so I decided, I absolutely hate cleaning. I am not a homemaker in any shape or form, but I have a six-year-old. So in my budget, I don't care how poor I am. Once a month, I set aside like a hundred dollars for somebody to come and clean for a few hours. And it has been the most freeing thing ever because I'm like, it's not, I'm, I'm not a bad mom or no. a bad woman because I don't like doing it. It's just not who God has made me to be, but right. someone else, it's a blessing for them. The money's a blessing too. And it's worth it for both of us. Right. Hey, I, I'm, I know that I could fit it into my budget if it was a priority. But, if it's your priority, right. right? It's it's right now. I've I've got other priorities in there, right, you know? exactly. And my, Everybody's the same thing. And my husband is perfectly fine with you know emptying the the vacuum bag for me. So <laughs> hey, there there's the trade off. I I right, take care absolutely. of the I take care of the dishes. I do all of the you know, and and he's like, I'll I'll do that job. Okay, great. We've we've compromised here, but right, right. Again, so sorry. Getting back to where we were. So yeah, you're good. Something that you said that um, you and I had talked about this before, and I wrote it down the last time we talked, is you said that employees should be the company's biggest fan. 
And yeah. that is hands down the greatest, most important thing to any business. If you, mm-hmm. ha- if you have a workforce that hates coming to their job, that hates doing their job, the number one most horrifying thing that any business can have is employees who leave and then go and tell their friends, oh, I hate working here. I hate that is mm-hmm. it. It So it only takes one negative review to destroy yep. a company's reputation. Yeah. And it if does. it's coming from an, somebody who actually works at your company, think of yep. how powerful that is. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I don't understand why more employers, my why more owners don't get that. Well, I think for a lot of the time before social media had the prevalence, it did, you know, it was a lot harder for word to get out if you were a bad employer and you didn't have as many options. And it was kind of like, okay, this one's terrible, but what else is there? And so that culture could be pervasive. It could be, you know, it was normal. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, um, you know, we've got cancel culture where if someone steps out of line to a degree that's, hey, you dehumanized someone or you did something that was wrong, like now it, all it takes is is one horrible thing happening in your company and it could be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't ever have a company where we're in fear of being destroyed, but we should always look at our actions and say, are we treating somebody to the best of our ability? Mm-hmm. And, you know, circling back to Quick Trip, their motto is basically um, do unto others as you would do to yourself and, you know, treat people as you want to be treated and make a difference in their lives by your actions and your attitudes. That's kind of, I really took that and said, okay, this is my personal mission. Right. How am I going to treat every single person I come into contact with? And even if I fail, because we're human, it's, if that's your motto, you are going to care about them. You're going to treat them well. It's not going to be about the bottom line, which for so long companies, that's all it was about was just the bottom line, not the real priority of a business, which is to improve the lives of your customers and in the process, your employees. Um, I know Smuckers used to have this, this viewpoint of, and I don't know if they do now because I haven't looked into it recently, but their viewpoint was that we would take first take care of our employees because if we take care of our employees, they can take care of our customers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. rather than it being, okay, the customers, you know, always come first, we are, your company is made up of people and those people have their own needs and their own life problems. And if you say, if you don't do what we want, you're fired or you can't get sick or you can't take time off or you can't have a life. What you're going to find is your company is going to end up worthless to people. Right. And that's what matters. Co- the companies need to start treating their employees like customers. Period. Yes, they do. I mean, it's yes. because, and here, here's coming from a staffing perspective, mm-hmm. I can, I can tell you that it, it, when somebody comes to me and they say, we just can't hire anybody we just can't get anybody in the door we so the first thing I do is I go out and I start talking to people who are in their industry it is Mm -hmm. really really quick it doesn't take me long it doesn't take a long time at all 
for me to figure out the reason they can't hire anybody, especially yep. if they're like, because I will talk to people who are in the industry and some of these industries are, are very small and mm -hmm. I will hear from other employees that, oh yeah, I don't want to work there. Well, why don't you want to work yep. there? Oh, I hear it's a horrible place to work. They, they, they turn people out all the time. I would never go work there. Oh, yep. And it's like, it, and once that, once that reputation starts, it is extremely difficult to get rid of it because it really is. It that that just keeps going through and through and through and through and through. Even if they spend a whole time of money, time trying to change that culture, it is going to mm -hmm. stay with them for a very long time. Yeah, and it absolutely right. As somebody who's in the industry, there are a handful of companies that I can list right now and I'm obviously I'm not going to but that I could list and say yep the reason that this company spits people out and people and they have such a hard time hiring is because they have mm -hmm. a reputation for being a horrible place to work I and know I've had companies that I've worked for that that I saw things done with lack of integrity so even when I was offered a promotion or this amazing dream job the the reality was the culture didn't have the air of integrity that I require. Mm -hmm. And you're finding that employees or potential employees are a lot more picky today. I've had, so I've had quite an extensive hiring experience since I took over in management. And the one thing that always sticks out to me is even if I don't go with someone, like, cause I do a lot of interviews, I've gotten multiple people every single time that I have a hiring session say this has been the best interview of my life mm -hmm. because you you saw me as a person like you treated me as a person and they're like it makes me want to work for you more and even if I don't get this position thank you for right. how you just treated me and there that's your interview process from the from the time you start interviewing somebody to the time that you that somebody ends with your company all of that shows who you are as a person and shows what your company represents. If you treat them badly in the interview, you're saying you're a number. What, what do you bring to the table? Why would I want you rather than saying, who are you as a person? How do you fit? Like, is this something you want to do? Is this something you're passionate about and seeing, do you guys mesh? Well, it's, it's made, most interviews are made with this air of you're here to fit me and rather than who are you? Let me get to know you. Okay. If you're a good fit, let's, let's continue this because you also want to think about what your employees want, what your potential employees want. If you have somebody who let's say they say they want to be a cashier and they apply for a position with me, but they hate people. I don't care what their extensive experience is. If they tell me, yeah, I really hate people. And I actually really like tech. And this is where I'm drawn to. And I'm like, all right, that's awesome and amazing. You would probably dislike this position and you would be upset with it long-term because it's not who you are. Let's see if we can find you something in tech or, you know, half of the time I make suggestions to them. Like, you know, I don't think that this is going to be the right fit because what we're looking for is a people person, but over here they're hiring and the, your skill set, who you are, would probably really fit them really well. 
Do you want to work for me? That <laughs> you want to come be a recruiter or, you know, a, a consultant? On- you know, I've done, I've done consulting for people. So, <laughs> I mean, cause that's, that's the conversation I have with, with candidates all the time when they're like, yeah I, yeah, I would really like to do this. And I'm like, yeah, but you are saying that you don't like any of the job duties. Yeah. But I really need a job. Oh, okay. Right. And what? that's what it is. Employees <laughs> have learned that they have to sell themselves and pretend to be whatever you want in order right. to get something. But that's this this abusive mindset, honestly, that you even see in abusive relationships. Right. Um, that it's you need to conform to who I am mm-hmm. rather than be yourself. In even in my interviews, so when we talk about wages, employees or potential employees come to me and that you know, we advertise how much we are hiring for. And I've got people who are like, Well, you know, that's that's a little low, but I I could do it. And I'm like, because I always ask them, how do you feel about the wage? Or what are you looking for? And almost every time they will tell me that they're okay with the wage that's set. Even if they're clearly not okay with it. Right. Even if they need more. And I tell each one of them, I'm like, you, I'm like, okay, I'll take you at your word. But I'm going to tell you for future reference. If you are actually wanting something, you need to come into an interview and saying, this is actually how much I want. Right. And if it's, if they can't do it or it's not the right fit for you, then, then that's not somewhere you want to work. Mm-hmm. But if you go in saying, I'm going to accept whatever you give me, it's setting yourself up for an abusive employer employee relationship. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not healthy. I'm like, even right. if you said, you know what, I actually really want 11. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Or I want, you know, 11 is too low. I really need 12 and here's my experience and I'm worth it. Right. You know, whatever the case is. Yep. People are always afraid that, um, you know, and I, I, I have the, obviously in, in the field that I'm in, I'm, I always ask, what do you, what do you want? What mm-hmm. do you need? And what would be mm-hmm. awesome if you got paid? Mm-hmm. And they're, oh, Absolutely. Okay, that's an interesting question. You know, cause I, I need to know, I need, Hey, if this position is paying, you know, $20 an hour, can you survive on that? Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you be comfortable in that? No. Okay. So right. let's talk about the real number. Let's talk about the number where you're not, you know, pinching pennies and wondering if you're going to be able to make ends meet, right? Exactly. Exactly. Where you're going to be able to occasionally go out to dinner or go out and hang out with friends and not be going. You can have a life on your salary. Correct. Exactly. I, I you know, I'd, again, because if you hire somebody at that, they're going to constantly be looking at the next possible opportunity. And they are. Right. So I always ask, what do you, what do you, what is your, you know, what can you survive on? What do you want to make? What would be so awesome if you got, and, and I mean, that's the conversation. I no longer ask people, what do you want to make? Because, well, they don't know. and They don't have the confidence for it. They think that they're going to be rejected if they have standards. Correct. And so even when I, when I know without a doubt, somebody will not be able to work for me, I say, you know, this was an amazing interview and I'm going to tell you straight up, you need to value yourself more. Yep. Your next interview, nobody's going to be offended if you say, this is what I want to make. Yep. This is what I need to make. Yep. Um, if you're willing to settle for less, don't tell them that. No, don't tell, you know, right. <laughs> never tell anybody. Well, I really want this. I mean, but you know, if you offer me this, I'll take it. Well, what? Wait, no. exactly. Cause then they're going to offer you that. Like you just undersold your entire self. But what, employees are starting to realize that there are so many jobs out there 
jobs that perhaps they weren't, they didn't used to have access to or that have better benefits or whatever. They have the ability now to be picky, but a lot of times the people that come to me are younger in their work history. They don't know, they don't yet have a lot of confidence they're developing as people. I've told every single one of them, you need to ask for more. Right. You need to say, this is what I want. So I don't work with a lot of very young people, but I just, I, I'm, I'm working on hiring a nanny, um, a very part-time, like just a baby, right? So I asked, you know, the nanny, how much do you, you know, how much do you need an hour? And the conversation was very weird because I'm not used to dealing with somebody who is 20, 19 years old. And it was, well, I, I don't really like this conversation, um, was yeah. the, the way it started with what she said to me. And I'm like, oh, okay well what do you want to make an hour right well a lot of times they think that you're going to tell them what they can make and so you know she went on to say well you know i i previously made this uh, um you know i would like to make it and i finally said don't sell yourself short just tell me the dollar amount that you want and i will pay you (laughs) and eventually and eventually it came to okay you used to make this i'll give you a dollar more an hour okay like i'm not Right. No, I totally get it. Actually, Kevin and I just had this conversation because I'm doing consulting for for the escape rooms that are um, that they have and like hiring and training and managing certain aspects of it. And he's like, well, how much do you want to make for this? And I'm like, and I do exactly what I tell everybody not to do. And I'm like, I don't know, like, I guess this much to be fine. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's ridiculous. That's that's ridiculous. Like this. And I'm like, well, no, no, that's what I make now. And he's like, no. And here you go. And he gave me this number that I'm like, you know what? Actually, I feel like that's fair. <laughs> but because I had low confidence in it, I was right. like willing to undersell myself. And I would have been upset actually long term if right. I was willing to settle for that. So, and I always tell my employees to ask. Right. The worst I can say is, you know, we can't do that, but we could do this. Right. And that's what I tell every, you know, you know, I, I just had a conversation yesterday with one of my candidates who, and this is a rarity. No, normally, I negotiate on their behalf when I'm placing, mm-hmm. you know, a candidate for them. But one of my clients prefers to negotiate directly with a direct their direct hires, which is yeah. fine because they are doing a direct hire. They they just pay us basically for the search, setting up the interview, and then once they go into we want to offer, they prefer to do all of the negotiation from there on out. Okay, that's fine. Right. Makes my job easier. But the candidate calls me and says, well, I would like to negotiate. And I said, okay. And he goes, can we walk through how I do this? Absolutely. Let's talk it over. You know, so I, you know, I I go over everything and I'm like, and the last thing I said was, if they say no, are you still going to take the job? Yes, he says. Okay, great. So with that in mind, by asking for all of these things that you, you want, just remember that the worst thing that can possibly happen is they say no and you still have a job. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, yeah, right. Yep. I mean, there's yep. there's no – and and it's – of course, there are situations where if somebody comes back and is asking for, you know, a ridiculous amount more and is not being appropriate in the way they're doing it, they can always rescind yep. the offer. But this is not a case in which, you know, he wasn't asking for anything – outrageous he wasn't being you know right yeah it it was pretty a pretty straightforward standard like hey can i have you know a a little bit of additional vacation can we you know meet 
in the middle here and all pretty basic things. Yep. And it comes down to the worst thing that can possibly happen is they say no. And either you choose not to accept a job or you choose to still accept the job and you have a job or you walk away from a job that you can't take because they weren't willing to give you enough money to survive on. And, and exactly. I think people forget that people, people think, oh, I'm going to be rejected. Mm-hmm. And the, That's absolutely what it is. Right. The fear of rejection is, I think, the greatest fear that, that people have of, oh, my gosh, they're going to reject me. Yeah, it. I totally agree. I mean, I see this. So when I'm coaching women in relationships, we see the same thing. Your relationship with your employer, your relationship with a partner very similar in this is they're driven by fear of rejection so they're willing to accept whatever you want when they realize that they actually have more value than they were underselling then they get upset at the employer that took them at their word Mm -hmm. and said okay this was the terms that you agreed to and so i encourage each one of my employees or potential employees in our interview to say all right what do you value who are you like i don't focus a lot of times on work like I might ask their work history and whatever, but most of the time it's okay. Who are you? What are you passionate about? Right. What, what do you bring to the table? What's your favorite thing about yourself? The most amazing thing is that is the hardest question for people to answer. Mm-hmm. It is. What they will always answer what they want to improve on. Mm-hmm. They will always give you that answer because they're so used to selling themselves short. Right. And so I, I try to encourage each one of my employees, each one of the people that come in as you are amazing. This is who you are. This might not be a right fit, but it doesn't mean you're rejected. It means that you're valued somewhere else, that you bring something to the table that no one else does. We just don't have the position for it, but here you go. Here's what you should do. Right. I We, we could talk for hours about all of this. <laughs> this is the stuff that like gets me going. And I'm like, yes, I'm so tired of people selling themselves shorts and women in particular. Oh, are- absolutely there's still that fear around, well, women not being treated equally or not being accepted. There's still that fear. And I want to, I'm sure like you, because I have a daughter, you have a daughter. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that by the time my daughter enters the workforce, that there is never ever that fear of, well, I'm not going to be looked at as good as my male peers or my male counterpart is. Yep. And I, I preach that constantly is, is don't sell yourself yes. short. You, if you have right. the skills, if you have the, the experience to back it up, there is mm-hmm. nothing wrong for asking what you're worth. I and, totally agree. I think yeah. that what I see a lot when I hire a man or I have an interview with a man, a lot of times they're not afraid to ask for more. I've actually never had a woman tell me, that she needed to make more unless she'd been in the workforce for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like someone who was like 30 years, my senior, she was like, I need this much to, to make a living. And I was like, unfortunately that's out of our budget. I think that you're worth it. But the position that we have just wouldn't work for that. Right. But men are typically, they just come in and say, I'd like to make this much. Mm-hmm. If you like eight out of 10 times, if you just say, this is how much I'd like to make. And you're just calm with it you're probably going to get it. it. I mean, if it's not outrageous, if it's a dollar or two more, you, there's a good chance you'll get it. If it's $5 more, not for this position, but other positions, yes. I find that men don't have as much of a fear around saying, this is what I'd like to make. Right. Versus women who are like, 
they want to be liked and they want to be seen as valuable, but they don't yet see themselves as valuable a lot of times. Right. Not it's when that, it comes financially. It's that imposter syndrome that, that we still, yes. yeah. So, I mean, I struggle with that. <laughs> and I, oh, oh, some, I, I still, there are still times that I struggle with that. Yep. You know, where I'm like, if, if I get up in front of these people or if I give this presentation, are they going to find value in what I'm saying? Are they going to, am I really mm -hmm. the expert in this as time has gone by and more people are like, wow, you're really knowledgeable in this. And I'm like, I am. Oh, yeah. No, right. I mean, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. Why do we I need am. validation for that? Why do we need somebody to say, yes, right. you're good at this? When we when we actually know it, that's why you're doing what you're doing, why right. you're bringing such a valuable light to this topic. And you know what you're talking about, but why do we need somebody else to say it? It's Correct. because we've been so conditioned for so long to say our value is in other people. Mm -hmm. And I try to shift that viewpoint. I'm like, you guys are amazing and I'm going to affirm you all day long, but you have to understand that it, it doesn't matter what I think about you. It doesn't matter. What do you think about you? Where right. do you want to be thinking about yourself? Yep. And how do we get there? Yep. Well, you are clearly um, not only a great manager, but the way that you talk, and we didn't even get to talk about your coaching side, but we are coming to time. <laughs> I, and clearly yeah. you're great at that because in, in everything that you're, you're talking about, I mean, I can tell that you're just the way that you're coaching the individuals that you're interviewing. I mean, these are just, these are things that you can't, that you can't teach. These are things that inherent, inherent and, and life experiences through whatever traumas, through whatever triumphs, through whatever, you know, things that we have gone through start to really shine and, and, you know, come out. And it's, it's clear that you have that. Um, and it's, it's amazing. I, I, like I said, I could talk to you for another two hours, but right. before we end, I do have the question of the season. Yes. If, if you could pinpoint a time period in your career that made a huge difference in your life or career path, when would that be and why? I would say it was actually being fired. By Jamie. <laughs> I love it that you was, put it that way. It, it was. I mean, she, she literally told me she was firing me. She's also my life coach. So she's like, I wouldn't be a good life coach or a good boss if I kept you on. But it was, and she was serious. She was like, you've got one week to decide and that's it. You're done. And I knew that I needed to do it, but I wasn't yet taking ownership of the fact that it was okay for me to move on and okay for me to not want to settle. I'd also been offered this other position and I was interviewing with them as well. And I was like, I've never turned down a job before, but that is not ideal for me. It just wasn't exactly what I wanted. And so it was this really freeing moment of, Hey, I'm fired as a nanny. So I can't stay there no matter what I have to make a change. Do I want to go and stay in that realm or do I want to actually take what I think that I'm passionate about? And it was this, forced choice of I have the choice to leave behind the mindset that I've had and leave behind this poverty mentality and actually step into something that where I make a lot more which is scary because when you're in that poverty line you know if you make a certain amount all the programs are cut out from underneath of you mm -hmm. and that was what it was I was faced with this decision of am I going to leave behind poverty which I don't know how to do nobody in my family is left behind poverty 
and I get to have a career. Nobody in my family has a career. And it was at that moment that I had a choice to make. And she coached me in a beautiful way. And Kevin did too. Jamie was basically like, nope, you would not like this other job that you've been offered and you know it and you shouldn't take it. And Kevin was like, no, you can take whatever you feel like the Lord is leading you to. If it's this other job and you feel that that's where you need to go to further yourself and your own business of coaching, then do it. And I was like, having that freedom and those two different mindsets of it being like, it's okay for whichever choice gave me the peace to be able to make the best decision for myself and to learn my own value. And to the point where from six months, I was a nanny to the general manager. I was nanny manager. And then they offered me, they created a general manager position because of how great I was at this one store that they wanted me to take the entire brand and do it. And so it was at that moment of being fired that my entire career path, my entire outlook on employer-employee relations totally shifted. That is, wow, that's amazing to have what, it kind of sounds like the the devil and the angel on your shoulder. And I know yeah, that, basically. right, but, and I know that neither one, both of them were, were talking to you and, and l- helping you go make a decision for the best outcome. Yep. So it's not really the yep. devil. It's more like, no, they were both supporting me just right, in different ways. Right. The, the, I don't know, the angel and the, I'm not sure, but it's just, it's, it's just the two facets, right? You had, you were give, being given advice, um, from two completely different perspectives in order to make the best decision mm-hmm. possible for you. And clearly you have followed the path that was best for you. You were, you know, you're doing awesome and you're right. When you, you talk about, you know, leaving that poverty line, it is a scary leap. And I, um, I'm not talking necessarily from personal experience, but I have, I do have some, you know, friends, some people in my circle who have yet to be able to make that leap because you leave the, the comfort of knowing that you have all of this assistance being able to back you up just in case all of a sudden the health insurance, the whatever government yep. age, you know, AIDS, there's the food stamps that are out there that, and I don't know, and I don't need to know what there's you know, child care, there's, there's food stamps, there's insurance, there's right. heat assistance, there's rent assistance, there's welfare. There's so many programs and the, that you're basically hard. It's hard to leave. Right. And the government does not put you on a sliding scale. It's, and I remember somebody actually ran the numbers for me one day and th- that total package is like 3500 or even more um yes. that you're basically leaving $3500 on the on the table and saying okay I can stop taking that money and I can make up for it somewhere else that is not you an easy have thing. like a major career shift yeah to the point that you know had this position not come available had I not been given this manager position right. out of seemingly nowhere I wouldn't have been able to necessarily easily make that leap right? because it, it's a major change and it's, it's not a sliding scale. It's okay. You've got this cap and then you're done and it's not necessarily enough to make up for it. You have to pass that cap. Right. And it takes a, okay, what do I need to do to get there? Right. It's, that is, 
and and I've had conversations with other people about you know the government needs to change that because how does somebody leap from how does somebody make that leap unless they have yeah. an opportunity that was presented like yours and it is not right. often that somebody gets that that opportunity but you did no it isn't awesome. and it, it is and I I agree I mean honestly when looking at the numbers basically because I went from making 16 grand a year and living off of that for two people mm-hmm. to uh, almost double it and that is what I had to do in order to comfortably live right and will survive and then when I became general manager it kind of changed a little bit but in order for that jump to have happened, like you have to make double right. what you have been making. And it's not, it's really easy to lose those programs, but it's not necessarily easy to gain a job that you could make more at. Right. It's possible. And I don't want to in any way discourage people, but it takes looking outside the normal avenues. Yep. It takes saying, okay, what do I need to do? And that's not always college. Like a lot of people think it's college, Mm -hmm. but that's not true. A lot of times, if you find what you're passionate about, you are naturally drawn to something and you can learn to become an expert in it and leverage your skills and create value for yourself. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've heard, I've heard employers say to me, they're like, well, I can't understand why this person won't take this promotion. You know, I'm offering them, you know, $2 an hour more or I'm offering, and I'm like, they're not taking it because if they, you know, $2 an hour more is nothing compared it's nothing to, the, to live off of, but it's enough to kick you off. Right, right, exactly. It's nothing compared to the benefits that they're getting right now. And if they lose those benefits, they will not survive. Mm-hmm. And employers, they don't, they don't quite get it. They don't quite yep. understand that when you are a single mother or when you, you know, mm-hmm. and you have children to provide for that losing that is it's it's devastating so it is it's it's yeah so (laughs) yes all right so um thank you so much for coming on if somebody wanted to reach out to you or connect with you how would they go about doing that yeah so they can always reach out to me at uh, savingdestinycoaching at gmail.com or they can find me on linkedin um they can also reach out to me um, via Facebook, which is our Saving Destiny Coaching Facebook page. They can reach me there. So those are going to be the best options to to get in touch. Well, thank you again, Jamie. You are truly a brilliant woman. Um, you've had such a, a an amazing path to where you are today. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I really appreciate being here. I love these conversations. And I'm so excited for what the future holds for this. Excellent. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day.